The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 156 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment. I never, never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we got another great show for you this evening, folks. Uh, we're going to be talking about a huge topic in the cybersecurity space right now. And that's security issues that organizations are having when adopting cloud-based collaboration tools. So typically when enterprises move from a no cloud to a cloud first model, they quickly experience security problems with externally sharing files while trying to collaborate with clients and partners and other third parties. I know that many of you in the business know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because this is a really big pain point in a lot of organizations right now. And I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what to do about it. So the move to a more remote workforce, in my mind, has really accelerated the adaptation of cloud-based collaboration and sharing tools in, in some form. I think about tools that are very, very common in organizations like Microsoft Teams and OneDrive and SharePoint Online and so on and so forth. Many of you are familiar with these, right? So I think securing these tools and extending them to support external collaborations has become top of mind for most, most information security professionals. And a lot of CISOs and heads of infrastructures are really you know, struggling with this. I think some extremely security conscious people, um, and maybe sometimes it might be uh, an overstep on their part, they actually blocked a lot of these tools and their use for external collaboration completely. But you know, when you do that, then employee productivity is affected and then communication has to happen with external parties in a different way. And that becomes hampered to some degree, right? It just, it's, it becomes a problem. Then you, we always know we have people, we hire smart people. Everybody wants to hire the smartest people, right? And you have these people that have come on and inevitably they find creative go-arounds to IT controls and they put the business at risk by doing it. Everyone's always looking for something to make their life a little bit easier. They're not necessarily thinking about security when they do that. So, we're going to be talking about this tonight, and we're going to be talking about how to mitigate these types of risk, especially those caused by shadow IT, so that organizations can support their employees, uh, their employee mission, and help them, you know, en enable them to collaborate with others the way they want to do, 
uh, and the went in the way they want to. And it's good for the organization. It's good for the employee. So to facilitate the conversation and to break it all down for us, we're going to have founder and CEO of eShare, Nicholas Stamos, and the director of core security architecture for Humana, Mitchell Greenfield, with us on the show tonight. So Nick and Mitch, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, Thanks for having us tonight. Hey, it's good to have you guys on here. We're just going to, you know, start start a chat. And I, I like to always start out the conversation just by level setting and benchmarking where we are, what it means, and sort of uh, set the stage with for the, our audience of what we're going to be talking about tonight. So we'll start out with you, Nick. Nick, can you talk a little bit about the state of cybersecurity uh, in in reference to the migration of to, to cloud-based services with all these collaboration tools and everything? What do you see that's going on in the industry right now? I think that there's been a huge acceleration of adoption of cloud services, especially post-pandemic. <clears throat> Part of it is because I think there was a huge uh, driver in terms of getting people productive from home and being able to sort of do what they need to do. And so, um, you know, people talk about a two or a three-year acceleration for where companies would normally be in terms of that adoption. So um, that, that's sort of happening. I think the problem is that a lot of people weren't ready. Uh, necessarily for thinking through these security issues, because one thing that's clear is that the legacy security tools, I think, have sort of left everybody down uh, because they really weren't ready uh, for the cloud and they weren't really ready for embracing sort of this next generation approach and technology. And so you have sort of the, the tools that are practical are scaling, are working, right? And from a, from a technology point of view, can be easily deployed or not easily, but you know, fairly aggressively deployed but you've got a whole infosec community that's woefully lacking in strategy, lacking in tools, lacking in knowledge, uh, lacking in approach, um, and really, you know, uh, just in, in how they're thinking about things, right, and thinking about risks. Um, I think to some degree, maybe I'm being too concerned about some of the potential risks that introduces uh, or not enough concerned um, between that. And, and, and I think there's a happy medium in the middle. And if you think back to, you know, I, I always like people say, well, we don't adopt cloud. We don't do things. We don't do that. And we don't do external sharing and collaboration. And my first question is the number one sharing tool in the world. And from my point of view, the number one shadow IT file transfer service in the world that, that everybody sort of forgets about is, is email, right? Email's been around forever. Yeah. Uh, it's easier. typically the number one ex exfiltration point for information. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's the most arcane collaboration tool in the world that there is. Um, but um, people just take it for granted, right, in terms of what's there. So I think some of this thinking out of the box and rationalizing your daily risks against, you know, what your opportunities are with some of these new technologies, not from a risk point of view, but for, to your point, from a business productivity point of view. So how do you sort of balance those two? And can you make things easier, more productive and safe for all at the same time? Yeah, I think a lot of people are moving towards email as a privilege, right? Because they're, they're trying to identify people who really don't need that external collaboration, which in many businesses isn't many. But in some large organizations, you do have, you know, clusters of groups that really don't require, you know, external email access. But the goal, you know, the goal here is to try to enable it where it's required, right? And 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 there's a great many people who need that access, obviously, to do business, right? Mitch, what say you? Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, Nick touches on this year and how uh, COVID-19 and, and remote work has kind of changed things. Um, I've seen it be a huge accelerator for expectations. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is people are expecting to collaborate more seamlessly and with more partners than ever. Uh, and as a security person, uh, that, that puts you in a challenging situation. You, you really have to be able to react and respond and enable. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things I kind of stress with my team is, listen, uh, you know, it's not about saying no, it's about saying yes, but. Uh, so it's about redirecting the conversation into how we do this in a manner where we can gain the visibility we need uh, while still enabling the business to have the collaboration that they need. And to that end, you know, you mentioned Microsoft Teams uh, in your opening, George, and, and its tremendous adoption. Uh, I believe this week Microsoft talked about it crossing 115 million daily active users. Um, and, and earlier this year, it was kind of 30 million. Uh, so like the adoption of these technologies is, is through the roof. And uh, to that end, we've actually been working this year on a pilot um, to enable teams externally because we knew there's kind of two ways to do it. You either join other people's teams and be completely blind to it, or you invite people to your team and, and have full visibility and therefore control. So we've been working on a model where we can enable the enterprise to adopt that and to invite people into our teams. So that way we can uh, leverage our controls, our data visibility, and ensure that you know, we, we, we are really part of the conversation. What do you think we are in the deployment and use of Microsoft 365? I know you mentioned a, a very large number there. <laughs> do you yeah. think, you know, out of all the people who plan on, you know, you know, implementing Microsoft Office 365, how many, how many people do you think we've done so far? And how are they doing? How are they doing with that implementation is, I guess, the <laughs> question, right? <laughs> so I think most people are doing poorly and they don't even know it. Um, <laughs> um, you know, the data sort of, sort of tells you that things like uh, legacy authentication uh, are, are going to bite you uh, if you don't pay attention. Um, multi-factor and not having strong authentication um, enabled are, are really, you know, great ways uh, that, that Microsoft sees risk. Uh, I think to, to, to that point, though, Microsoft this year has really done a phenomenal job backing people up and kind of forcing more defaults that are secure. Um, so I think that's helping tremendously. Uh, and then uh, I think some of the friction between security and, and kind of the Microsoft Teams is breaking down a little bit because now the Microsoft team that I interact with is coming to the table saying, how do we do this securely? Uh, because they know that that's the barrier to, to enabling. So uh, I, I think it's shifted. I, I think Office 365 adoption is, if I had a guess, and uh, to your point, this is not financial advice, but I, I bet it's only about 30% done. I think there's still significant amount of organizations that, that are wanting to go down this path, whether it be Office 365 or, um, or uh, G Suite or Google Workspaces. Um, you know, I think both of those platforms are gonna continue to, to grow. Uh, and I really do believe that you have the ability to be more secure on them than you do in your own data center. Uh, but I think the challenge is that those platforms change every day. So in the, in the data center, you install Exchange 2010 or 2016 or whatever it was, it didn't change until you changed it, right? Uh, you know, there would be vulnerabilities and risks that would come out um, and that would change the platform. But I get change notices every single day from Microsoft on Office 365. And some days I wake up and there's like a dozen, uh, you know, of, of these are all the new features that are coming out. So as a security team, you got to be on top of that. I mean, every new feature you need to make sure you read up on and understand because Microsoft doesn't always make the defaults secure. Right. So, Nick, you know, we're talking about the acceleration uh, of this transformation because of the remote workforce. How do you think that's working out? I mean, how do you think that's playing out right now in the industry? 
you know, I, I think people are still struggling and they're sort of kicking the tires and sort of trying to rethink models. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the challenges that we found in traditional file sharing in the past, when people would embrace a particular platform and uh, sort of as Mitch said, you know, the idea was, for example, if we go back four or five years, right, Box at the time was probably pretty hot and large enterprises, right, especially regulated space. And, you know, it was, it's the philosophy was kind of what Mitch was saying is like, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a large fortune 50 company, I'm going to embrace Box and I'm going to control everything by inviting everybody into my Box environment. Well, the problem there is that everybody has that kind of attitude, right? So, well, no, you need to come into my box environment because I want to have visibility or you need to come into my, you know, Dropbox or, or Google Drive or whatever environment. And so the problem with that strategy is that, you know, if the whole world was Microsoft standardized and everybody ran Office and everybody, you know, was in the cloud and, and was a, a monoculture, uh, then it might actually work. But the reality is it's not, right? And, and that's where things start breaking down. Um, is when, number one, when, when two people want to truly, you know, co-author and co-collaborate, how do you sort of do that? The good news is that Microsoft has really, really tight controls now. So you can control who's allowed in your environment. And you can also control who goes out of your environment and you can disable both of those by default. Well, the downside of, of inviting somebody in is, well, how do your people go out? I mean, imagine if, you know, the, and, and the current problem with this model is think about email, right? You know, Email has a two-way open communication system. You don't need to get permission from somebody before somebody can receive your email, and you don't have to get permission before somebody can send you an email. Hence why email rules the world, right? right <laughs> That's the right. reality of it, right? And, if, and it ain't going to stop anytime soon. The cockroach of data sharing. Exactly. <laughs> it, it really is. But it's because of the freedom that actually occurs. And we've gotten comfortable with email, even in regulated organizations. Why? Because we've been able to put controls in place to sort of manage it to some or manage some of that risk, right, in terms of what's there. So I have my network DLP, right, so I can, at least I can find my PHI, I can find my PAI, I can find, you know, some of the regulated information in terms of what's there, I can look for keywords and this and that. And those systems have gotten, you know, reasonably wood and giving us some level of comfort that, that the data sort of that's going out has some level of control around that. And then we layered in a bunch of cyber capabilities on top of it. So I can start looking for phishing attacks and and this and that type of thing. So we've done a reasonably okay job at putting that together. Um, but you know, if we had implemented some of these, you know, controls of you know flow of information in and out by permission by recipient, user by domain, you know, I think uh, email wouldn't have had the success it has. And so my concern is that if we continue through that methodology. Um, you're not going to, you're going to continue basically pushing people into email because at the end of the day, that's going to be the simple action that still works, right? And it's still active and, and, uh, and, and sort of moves forward. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, for certain types of relationships that are, that are long-term and, and, and have a long-term engagement, sort of the, the, the double-sided permission model may work, but the reality is, you know, uh, there's a lot of communications and a lot of transactions that are happening on the cuff, right? Um, think about your cell phone or a phone, right? If, 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 again, if you had to get permission from two people before you could call somebody, right? How well would, would, would phone technology work? It, it, again, it wouldn't work that well, or, you know, messaging technology, again, if, and, and, and I think that's sort of the balancing act is that, you know, we had data rooms, we had SFTP servers, we had managed file transfer, 
those are all permission-based mechanisms. Now, maybe you don't need the setup costs and maybe the it's a lot easier and maybe the experience is better, but there was a whole approval process that you had to go through. And if you look at, you know, as an organization, how much data leaves your organization through a controlled file transfer mechanism or through a data room, right, that's pre-provisioned versus how much data leaves your environment versus your email system today. Um, I would suspect there's a lot more data leaving through email than there is those structured systems. Um, not even because of user experience, just that it's, it's, you know, people need to, you know, operate now, right? I need to get my job done now. I need to get this information there now. Um, and, and I think we need to also think about what's the email equivalent that can give you sort of better security controls, but also works in this new modern workplace environment, right? So we can have co-authoring and we can have co-editing and we can do this type of thing. Um, that's sort of, I think, the, 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 the productivity challenges that, that, that we're going to hit um, and, and, uh, and that really you need to go beyond, beyond those, those bases because people are just going to use email at the end of the day. And that's not what we want people to do. It's not productive. It's not efficient. And it continues to have much higher, a much higher risk profile than, than other approaches. Well, and, and one thing I found really interesting, Nick, this week, I was talking with a peer in, uh, in the retail space. And uh, he mentioned that uh, with their transition of, you know, back office, obviously not the front end retail, but the back office folks transitioning from home or transitioning to work at home, they've actually seen the amount of email going from corporate email to personal email like Gmail and Hotmail increase and accelerate. And I was kind of surprised by that because, you know, now you're at home. So your work computer and your home computer are sometimes in the same room on the same desk. Uh, so I was pretty surprised to hear that that uh, email between the two was so high. Yeah, so it's interesting. We started talking a little bit about some of the controls, you know, that you mentioned. And I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. And we also talked about the customer experience too, like the experience of how people are using it and, and things like that. But what are the specific security concerns that you have uh, with this transformation? Like what, would you, what would you describe as specifically, these are the security concerns that we're trying to solve for? Yeah, so I, th- I think you know, a lot of people did secure mail. And we did secure mail kind of the old way. Um, you, you sent secure mail to a secure portal. And when it went to that portal, it was locked up. And, uh, but, but it really wasn't locked up. It was just delivered securely. Um, so I think that that kind of notion of secure delivery versus secure collaboration is where the overall kind of breaks down. So, um, you know, working with newer collaboration technologies actually allows you to really secure the content versus just securing the transport. And, and I think that's a big shift and that's a big mind change. Um, because before I would send you a secure mail, you know, like I did, I did with my bank recently. I sent them a secure, or they sent me a secure mail and I needed to upload documents to them. I uploaded them and they're gone, right? I don't know where that, that you know, document they asked to prove my identity went. Um, whereas if, if it's occurring in a platform like Office 365, there's extensive audit logs. Um, so it actually makes the whole transaction significantly more secure. I know when you opened it, where you opened it from, if you downloaded it, if you printed it, if you actually ever looked at it. <laughs> so there's actually business value on the other side of that because I can actually prove that I sent you this really important document and you never even looked at it. So, you know, clearly there's a breakdown in communication on the importance. Uh, so I, I think those are a few of the points. Um, and then the other things we're trying to layer in are um, actually kind of getting to a place where the content gates the permission. Uh, so if it's PHI or PII, maybe you get view only rights. You can't print it. You can't save it. 
Um, if it's you know a code word because of a collab or a acquisition or M and A, maybe you get limited rights. But if if we scan the document and there's no you know indicator of any sensitive information, maybe you just get to do what you need with it. And I don't really try to I don't really try to gate the conversation anymore. So how concerned should businesses be with shadow IT right now? I mean, how do you detect when employees use it? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not monitoring for shadow IT, um, you've, you've left your whole company wide open. Uh, so if you look at the if you look at the suite of you know web filters that are out there today with the, the whole CASB space evolving into the secure enterprise or the secure access edge, uh, SASB is, is Gartner's now trying to term it. Uh, I, I think you know if you're not monitoring for that, you're you're probably losing a lot more than you know. And the other part about it is. Um, there's a lot of sites out there that the bad guys use, uh, as well as the good guys. So um, you, you're also leaving yourself wide open, even if no one on your team is abusing it, there might be, you know, the bad actor inside that is. Um, so one example, you know, Pastebin. There's probably no real good reason that anyone in your organization should be using Pastebin. Uh, it's probably only bad happening there. Um, I mean, that's kind of the whole purpose of the site. So, you know, if you're not monitoring for things like that uh, and really trying to understand where your data is going, uh, you, you don't even have a chance to understand what you're losing. Nick, what do you, what do you say about shadow IT? What's your thoughts? Well, to me, um, it's, it, it should be used as an indicator of lack of services that you're providing to your organization. Right. If you see a lot of people using cloud storage, right, and shadow IT and third party services, it means that whatever you're offering is not good enough to meet business requirements and business needs. Or if you see people using different sort of tools out there, the question is, why aren't they using the tools that, that you should? Well, one, are you providing the tools? And two, if you are, why aren't they using them? Right. Is it an education issue or is it a business requirements issue where you've picked tools that they, they simply don't like or are too difficult to use or don't meet their business needs? Uh, in terms of what's there, or have you locked down the tools that you have too much? Um, and so, for example, one of the numbers that we see uh, uh, as we engage with customers is typically 70 plus percent of all organizations that we work with, which is usually sort of Fortune 2000 uh, type companies, will on their own have chosen to disable external sharing, right? They will have mm -hmm. disabled guest access, they will have disabled uh, sharing on a SharePoint and Teams and, and, and OneDrive. Um, and typically they're doing it because again, they don't, they don't yet uh, know how to deal with the security aspect of it and the controls around it. And so that becomes very problematic and people aren't thinking about the, the negative user experiences that occur. Um, I have a, uh, there's an advisor that I'm using as a former, um, CEO of another company, not, not a huge company. It was, a uh, maybe about a, a 30, $40 million uh, revenue a year company. And, um, CEO basically talked about how OneDrive didn't work. Right. And he used Dropbox. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean OneDrive didn't work? Because, well, I sent the link out to my to my board members to, to, to distribute a presentation in an email. And they were all, you know, calling and bitching about the fact that they couldn't uh, they couldn't read the, the, the board presentation. He goes, so I, I basically I turned around and this is the CEO of the company. Right. He goes, I turned around. And I just sent it out in Dropbox, even though I know, I, you know, we shouldn't be doing that because, you know, Microsoft was our platform. He goes, but I need to do my job. And now. Um, the reality was, I'm sure, it was not a OneDrive issue. I'm sure OneDrive worked perfectly fine. Um, the issue was probably one of two things. Either their IT department had locked it down where um, the external users couldn't access it, or if they hadn't locked it down, they'd put out um, barriers to controls 
where, and this is again, you know, the Microsoft monoculture environment where they had to basically provision a Microsoft account to then, you know, from their Gmail account or their Yahoo account or whatever, you know, was out there for them to be able to view the document. And therefore, you know, the board members were like, okay, I can't view it, right? I don't have a lot of patience uh, for this type of thing. So, you know, what do I do? Um, and so th those are the types of indicators that I think you can look at and think about, well, what's the right balancing act? Because, you know, shadow IT is a good indicator that you're, 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 you're either not communicating or not providing and meeting the business needs that users want. Uh, and, and that's the challenge is, you know, where's that balancing act? Um, I think part of that is we need to rethink the whole security model, right? Mitch kind of hinted at it a little bit, but he didn't go into it directly. Uh, he, he said it very subtly. One of the things that he mentioned was that, you know, traditional sort of, and again, I'm just going to use email because everybody uses it day and day, right? What do we do with traditional email, right? You, you, you attach a file to an email, you click send, okay? Goes to your exchange server, then probably hops into a, a network DLP system. It pulls out the email, the attachments, does some sort of pattern match, yes or no, done, right? Pretty straightforward. Now, let's take the exact same use case, but now the link is a OneDrive link right? Or any sort of cloud, because there's a link now in the email where it's not sending the document physically as an attachment, but it's sending it as, as a reference to some storage. And let's just pretend the network DLP system could actually make heads and tails out of it somehow, right? You know, we, 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 we hit the little magic wand and now all legacy net network DLP solutions can know how to deal with links. But does that, is that enough? Does that really solve the problem? The answer is no. Right? Why? Because that link, it, even if it does a scan, when it's sending the email, it, it's only uh, doing a scan for that point in time, right? That link is live. The beauty of the link is the fact that number one, it's not moving data, right? Much better security. Um, the other beauty of it is that it now supports modern collaboration. You could open it up in Office Online and you could do co-authoring and coding, all the really cool stuff, right? Number three, it has version history built into it, much better auditing capabilities. I can look back to see, you know, who changed the what, when, where, you know, I can see when they downloaded it. So all really good stuff, right, in terms of what's there. Now, what's the bad side? I, I, the traditional way of doing DLP is dead. It's done. Yeah. Right, it, it's not going to work, right? So, what people do you realize that yet? Why? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, this and this is, but this is where they cop out, right? This is why we see seventy plus percent of people shutting off external sharing, right? Because what? Because they don't know what to do with it. They don't go. I don't know what to do. You know how to fix it? Just shut it off, right? That's the way to fix it. Now, it's a good knee-jerk reaction. It, it's sort of reasonable to get going, but guess what? That's going to drive shadow IT. Why? Because people have to share externally. People want to have a modern experience externally. People want to share 50 megabyte, you know, PowerPoint files externally, right? That, that'll choke an email system out there. So sort of how do you do that, right? And it comes back to sort of what we started this whole discussion with, which is knowledge and, and rethinking things and rethinking strategy. And the one thing I can tell people, I don't have all the answers, right? But one answer I can guarantee you is you go to the, your cloud journey Whatever you're doing with your legacy system, when it comes to the cloud, it's wrong, right? That I can guarantee you is that whatever you're going to do uh, is not going to be what you're doing in the past. It's going to, it's definitely going to be something different. If you and if you try to simply apply your strategies and your policies of, of your on-prem world into the cloud world, that's the worst possible thing you can do. Well, and I think it's also a huge mind shift from you know gateway to API, right? Because everyone's used to doing stuff 
like I, I run the network, I rule the network, I control everything because I control the network. And that's just not the cloud way. You don't control the cloud via the network, right? You control the cloud via API. Um, and that's a big skill that a lot of security people don't have that, that they didn't grow up in application. You know, if you're an application person who moved into security, you can do the world of API pretty well and understand it. But if you, if you kind of grew up in the world of network and now you're trying to do API, that's, you know, a completely different knowledge area. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges of, of just thinking about it. It's not, I'm not trying to inspect 443 anymore. Now I want to get a webhook every time something happens. And then I want to go query this data store and, and you know, then run a DLP engine against this document. And that's just completely different than watching traffic on the wire. And, and so, that's so, what makes it better, right? Because right. You, you can now do things that we used to dream of 20, 30 years ago, right? Um, classification right, and labeling, that was a dream from 30 plus years ago, right, in terms of what's there. I don't know of anybody that did it successfully, right? Why? Because you were taxing your network, you were taxing your infrastructure, you were taxing your servers, you were revolting, right? It just wasn't, technically speaking, it just, you, you couldn't practically do it. But when everything's in the cloud, right, and now you can scan things anytime you want through the APIs, there's no hit on your network, there's no hit on your servers, there's no hit on, in that environment, all of a sudden, things that weren't technically feasible and practical in the past now become a reality in terms of what's there. Well, what does that mean? How does that fit into your strategy? Well, that's actually a pretty funny comment because I still get people asking like, well, are we going to bring down Office 365 if we scan? And, and, and the first answer is I don't care. And, and the second answer is I better not. I'm paying them a lot of money. And you know, if they don't have the compute power to serve the APIs that they're making available to me, then, then they're doing something wrong. And, uh, you know, Microsoft, uh, you, you actually got to see the cloud grow and stress this year, right? Because before this year, we never saw these major surge in demands um, and these kind of crippling points. And each one of them has, has made the, you know, at least in the Microsoft case, I believe, made it more resilient uh, because they've gone and looked at each of these. You know, even a few weeks ago, we had Azure AD that had a significant outage um, uh, one uh, Monday, was it Monday or Wednesday afternoon? Um, but it was you know, a couple hours late afternoon, Eastern time. And uh, even getting to speak with Microsoft about, you know, what they're doing, um, they are thinking it deep. I mean, you know, without going into any details about it, but they are thinking it deep about everything they're doing to make it more resilient. Uh, so the resiliency and, and, you know, everything you get from the cloud is going to be significantly better than what you're, you're doing on-premise. All right, guys, we've got to transition to a commercial break, but stick with us. We'll be right back more in episode number 156 of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at TF7. That's with the number 7 radio.com we're going to pause for quick messages from our sponsors and then we'll be right back with our special guest the founder and ceo of eshare nicholas stamos and the director of core security architecture for humana mitchell greenfield whatever you do don't go away you're listening to task force 7 radio the voice of cybersecurity. become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the founder and CEO of eShare, Nicholas Stamos, and the director of core security architecture of Humana, Mitchell Greenfield. So, gentlemen, you know, let's talk about the user experience a little bit. I know we spoke about it a little bit in the first segment. I want to, you know, dive a little bit deeper and unpack it a little bit further uh, for our audience. But what role does security play in improving user productivity, right? So, security should always enable productivity and they should enable the business. It shouldn't be a, a blocker, so to speak. Right. And uh, we always get accused of being blockers right, <laughs> in security. Right. But you know, how, how does it improve user productivity? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really kind of interesting because uh, the last few years I've been on a journey, uh, you know, everything we do of trying to understand how we improve security uh, and improve the experience. And it's really been the opposite. It's been, how do we improve the experience while improving the security? 
uh, and, and making sure that they're both advancing. Uh, and, you know, I think if we look at the best consumer technologies, that's what they've done. Uh, they've, they've become, you know, sticky because they're secure and they're very easy to use. So, uh, in kind of fundamentally, when we were looking at Office 365, um, it's, all, it's always been about how we make it easy for our, our users to adopt it. Um, because you, you touched on the last segment, George, about shadow IT uh, and, you know, the, the kind of explosive nature of shadow IT and its, its risks. So if we're able to position the corporate sanction way of doing something as more secure uh, and more usable, then why wouldn't people adopt it? Uh, and, and if it can fit into your productivity and your workflow uh, and kind of everything you're doing, uh, I, I think it just kind of, you know, simplifies the equation for everyone. They don't have to go out and learn it. Um, so uh, we've really tried to focus on, um, you know, that's why we were trying to do the teams sharing uh, and inviting people into our team, because that's where our, 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 our company works, right? I mean, that's where a collaboration happens. So the more people we can invite into it, the, the more we don't have to worry about them going left, right, up, down, and all the other ways that, that we don't want to have to watch for. Uh, so, uh, you know, just kind of accept the fact that these native capabilities that Microsoft's built in Teams uh, are highly collaborative. And then the APIs they've given us are how are our means to make them secure. So as an example on Teams, um, we, we, we're doing a pilot right now with some uh, third-party partners. And uh, in that pilot, if PHI is posted, it's deleted. Uh, it's deleted instantly. So that's, that's kind of how we've approached that problem. What say you, Nick, about user productivity and security as the enabler? I think the um, I think the user needs to be the burden needs to be removed from the user by worrying around compliance. I think is the challenge here because in this new way of collaborating, where you're really exposing a lot of information and a lot of data to third parties, uh, especially in external sharing, you can't practically expect any one user or the user initiating the share having any idea what's potentially there at any given time, right? Being sort of the, the cop for it. So think about, um, think about sort of what, what Mitch sort of just talked about, right? So part of their strategy is, well, keep the data, you know, anytime you share externally, just put no regulated data in it. Well, okay, but that's gonna be kind of a challenge if you're, in, if you're an insurance company and everything you do is regulated, right? Um, and so, how useful is it going to really be if every time, you know, something, uh, you know, hey, you know, let's work with an external vendor to talk about our patients, right? To talk about a medical record. Oh, no, can't talk about that. Got to delete that. Oh, let's talk about a doctor visit. No, can't talk about that. Got to delete that. It, it really becomes highly limiting, right? When you say, oh, the only thing you can work with is unregulated data in terms of what's there, right? Okay, the IT guys can maybe use it, but this is about the business, right? And how, how are you enabling the business? And so what do you do? Right. What, what's the, the answer? And I think number one, the first answer is don't put the burden on the end user. The end user at this point, when you're talking about a team's team and a team's channel that could have hundreds and hundreds of documents in it, uh, of those hundreds of documents, God knows what is actually there at any given time. How can an end user that's inviting a partner into that collaboration process uh, be held accountable in any way, shape or form for knowing all the data that exists? And that, uh, and that share before they do it. It's just silly and irrational, right, to have that expectation. Um, and so I think what we need to do is we need to think about it in terms of 
the user should be in charge of inviting the appropriate partner right into the appropriate collaboration but the underlying ecosystem and, and the underlying info uh, sex strategy should be responsible essentially for saying hey who's accessing this data and should they have access to it if, if it's if it's regulated data so how do you do something like that right well the strategy again goes back to what we're talking about which is classification right if you can apply the appropriate sensitivity labels today to all the data sitting in SharePoint and OneDrive and Teams and whatever, and, and I think we all agree that technologically this is now possible and practical to do, right, in the cloud. That's one of the, the benefits of the cloud. Uh, if you do apply that, then what you do is you say, okay, the end user is not responsible for making sure that the recipient has the appropriate, you know, BAA signed or the appropriate PCI you know, a compliance regs sign before they can access any sort of regulated data. They just say, hey, who's the right person that I should be sharing with? Who should I invite into this collaboration to do my job, period. Then the system under the cover should be saying, hey, um, when, when this user goes to access this piece of data, and if this data has already been classified as PHI or PAI or something regulated, then a policy should kick in, that is that a policy should kick in that's irrelevant to the sharing policy, right? So a second policy, that applies to the actual data classification type chicken that says, hey, this is PHI data, okay? Who should be accessing PHI data? Well, at a minimum, I spent hundreds of millions of dollars a year vetting all my vendors. And if they don't have a BAA sign, they shouldn't be accessing PHI data, period, in terms of what's there. So if you're not on a whitelisted domain of having signed a BAA, you're not getting access to it. Done, right, in terms of what's there. And now the user that did the share doesn't have to be responsible. And by the way, you're not destroying the collaboration experience because you know what? Okay, you don't you haven't signed a BAA, you can't access that medical record, right? Or you can't access that piece of information. But all the other stuff relevant to our sharing and collaboration, you can access perfectly fine, right? In terms of what's there. So this goes back to sort of needing to evolve your infosec strategy and approach with more modern tools, with capabilities that are there today, but in a different way, so that you sort of rethink that whole mechanism. The black and white approach that says, yeah, you can, you know, one, I'm gonna invite you into my system, two, I'm only gonna share information that's not regulated. You know, if, if you're a bank, okay, you're not gonna share any PAI information or PCI information. If you're a healthcare company, you're not gonna share any PHI information. I mean, that's your business. And so that says now, okay, so how useful is that tool really gonna be? And again, is that going to drive shadow IT because people are going to work their way around it because now you're not allowing them to share the information, um, which is critical to the business. So what kind of productivity gains have you seen companies uh, enjoy by the deployment of new security features? Um, have you, you know, in your experience, what are you seeing going on out there? You want to take that one, Mitch? Want me to take it? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, so one of the things that we've seen happen is with the cloud, uh, folks are able to basically uh, gain significant productivity enhancements by sort of solving the last mile. So, so one of the big advantages of the cloud is that you can move, you, you can share information, right, and collect data without necessarily, uh, but by having the transport itself be secured and without necessarily moving data around in terms of what's there. So, so what do I mean? So if I... If, if I share a file with you, um, and if I do it in such a way where I'm sending you a link, right? So the data sitting in my tenant of Office 365, I'm sending you the, the link itself. You click on the link, 
and say it's this video, right? So at the end of this, it, it's some sort of video system that you're looking and you're going to look at the video and you're going to comment on it and you're going to do whatever you want to do on it, but you've never actually downloaded the video. The video's never actually made it to your endpoint device, even though you've gone through the whole process of seeing it and viewing it and maybe chatting about it with me, you know, back and forth, but the data never really left, right, in, in, into your environment. And therefore, the risk actually of the data sitting and leaving my control never actually occurred, but it happened through a seamless process under the covers, right, in terms of what's there. Um, so that's some of the productivity enhancements that you have now. You know, combine that essentially um, with automation, right, and that's when you get some massive productivity games where, you know, robotic process automation, and you've heard that term RPA uh, type of thing. A lot of people are trying to automate these sort of uh, mundane procedures but most of these tools break down the minute the data becomes regulated and the minute it goes outside of the, the corporate organization, right? When it comes to a customer B2B or B2C type environment, um, those limitations no longer exist, right? When, when, uh, when you think about the cloud and, and sort of add-on solutions like eShare, we facilitate those capabilities and provide sort of what we call zero transfer links, right? So the links are moving around, data is not actually moving around, the links basically control the access based on sensitivity labels and so on and so forth. Uh, the links also generate full auditing of everybody touching it, right? Because every time you want to do anything with it, you got to click on the link, so I know who you are. Um, so it sort of meets both the regulatory requirements that you have, and you get the productivity gains, uh, and you don't have data floating everywhere, right? In terms of what's there, you're, all, you're keeping it everything under your centralized control. Um, so, you know, we've seen, you know, anywhere from 80 to 90% uh, personnel reduction in terms of time and effort for existing processes while, you know, increasing turnaround time of, 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 uh, of uh, either collection or distribution information uh, going from days to hours to minutes. So, you know, so better customer satisfaction, uh, much cheaper uh, from a cost operational point of view uh, and more secure and compliant. And I think that's the name of the game when it comes to the cloud and doing it right. So what do you see organizations doing to try to find new value and extract new value out of Microsoft Office 365? What kind of tactics do, do you see them undertaking? Mitch, anything out there? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the, uh, the biggest thing in my mind is actually using the features that are part of the suite. Uh, you know, Office 365 is such a uh, large and complex uh, beast. <laughs> there, there's so many layers to it. You know, you start out, I think most organizations start out with email, SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams. But then when you get to the next layer, you know, I'll give you an example. There's a add-in for uh, Outlook called Find Time. Uh, to me, that is one of the best productivity, uh, um, you know, capabilities built in that you just need to turn on. So Find Time lets you send out a meeting poll with all the times that people are available. And, you know, that that's another actual, uh, not, not data sharing friction point, but friction point, right? In today's world, like you, you're in your office 365, I'm in my office 365, we're trying to schedule, instead of sending like, I'm available these three times and I'm available these four times. And well, what about that time? Um, just send out a poll <laughs> and let people vote on what time works the best. Uh, so to me, that's been actually one of the biggest like self productivity enhancements uh, is just being able to like schedule myself between a group of you know, when it's two or three people, email works fine. Once you're in like that half dozen to a dozen range, forget about it. It's just saves so much time. I think there's little time hacks like that, you know, kind of everywhere in Office 365 if you if you look for them. I've got business partners um, that are really loving some of the features of um, Project Online, 
and being able to uh, manage their project schedules that way. Um, Azure DevOps, uh, which I know is kind of a, a sister to Office 365, but um, you know, we're even planning non-code development type work now in Azure DevOps, uh, just using it as a, as a uh, spring planning for you know, everything we're doing. So I, I think the capabilities are, are really there. You just have to be a little creative on how you use them. So Mitch, how, how have your uh, budget considerations shifted for the rest of the year considering COVID-19? What kind of adjustments have you made uh, because yeah. of the pandemic? Yeah, it's put a big, it's been a big change. Uh, you know, I think one thing that we put a heavy uh, emphasis on was enhancing our remote access. Uh, I don't think that's surprising anyone who, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows what's going on. Uh, we, we went from thinking about the network um, and, and kind of almost ignoring the remote people to some extent. Um, but um, we went from thinking of the network about 500 offices to thinking about the network as 50,000 offices. Uh, so, you know, a complete shift on, on how you think about that. So we've added more telemetry uh, to understand people's individual connectivity and how it's functioning uh, and how their access to applications are functioning. Uh, we've rolled out an entire new VPN. Uh, we've actually rolled out two new VPNs this year. So, you know, we've, we've really kind of experimented with what's the best model of connectivity to support our different uh, business segments. Because uh, we have business segments that are very light, uh, that don't really need a lot of technology, like personal nurses that are in your home and are only using a handful of applications. And then we've got other business segments that are very heavy and need a lot more technology. So, you know, instead of trying to be that one solution for everyone, we actually have three different remote access technologies uh, that we leverage, uh, giving each segment, you know, the, the experience that, that gives them uh, the best outcome. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a real mind shift for IT. Uh, I think it's really the adoption of consumerization because uh, that, that is at the heart of it, right? If, if you don't like your iPhone, you go out and buy Android. If you don't like Android, you go out and buy an iPhone, right? I mean, like that's the, that's the personal uh, IT world today. If, if I don't like Evernote, I'm going to go try something different. If I don't like Microsoft Word, I'm going to go try Google Docs until I find what I like. Uh, so, you know, I think that's been the, the big shift this year is kind of how you keep pace with that. Because uh, I think cloud years have kind of turned into like dog years maybe. Uh, and, and that's how quick they're going. Uh, right now. And, and it's just, it's, it's been uh, a big adventure and a lot of fun. I think the other, uh, the other thing that we've been working on is how we extract the most value out of the technology we have. Um, so Office 365, uh, as an example, is a, is a huge investment. And, it, and really Microsoft wants you to think about now is M365, right? Everything in the, in the Windows space uh, or in the Microsoft space, Windows to Office to everything in between. Um, so really uh, heavily adopting Intune, uh, and, and getting all of our machines um, hybrid join uh, was a really tremendous milestone for us uh, and really exciting. And then layering in cloud management gateway to enable us to patch over the internet and deploy software over the internet at a time when everyone's remote. You know, how, how better do we respond to the business demand than that? Uh, and, and that's kind of ironic because that was on the roadmap for this year. Uh, and I, I don't deserve any credit for this, but the team was already working on this and then, and then it's just like, man, now we have that extra oomph to get it done. Hey, hey, Nick, real quick before the next break, you know, is there any downside to all this product consolidation going on? Any downside you see? Disadvantages? Um, I think the, 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 the main issue that you're going to have is making sure that you're careful about how the, how the pieces fit together, right? And, and, and that's the challenge because there is no – you know, I'm a big Microsoft fan. You know, I think they provide a lot of value. 
Um, but everybody's got holes. Nobody's perfect. You know, they, they need to work together in an ecosystem. And sometimes, you know, I think executives especially get a little bit caught up in, um, well, you know, Microsoft will solve everything for us. And they'll do a lot. And they do a lot, right? There's no question about it. Um, but you got to sort of, uh, you know, think about the, the, always think about your end users and the productivity enhancements. And, and, and what should always rule is the requirements of your business users and who the vendor is should be second, right, in terms of what's there. And so sometimes over, overconfidence in one vendor doing everything for you, I think sometimes goes a little bit too far. Um, you know, there's a, there's, there's a balancing act. Um, and so that's why I think, think about your strategy, understand your business users' needs, you know, really well, understand their day-to-day -day requirements, um, and then, you know, map the appropriate solution to meet their needs. All right, guys, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the founder and CEO of eShare, Nicholas Stamos, and the director of Core Security Architecture at Humana, Mitchell Greenfield. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the founder and CEO of eShare, Nicholas Stamos, and the director of core security architecture for Humana, Mitchell Greenfield. So, uh, Nick, you know, we talk about some, you know, some emerging markets. We talk about growth markets. Um, businesses in some countries do business, you know, do business with uh, other businesses in other countries that may be adversarial uh, from a nation state perspective, right? So what kind of visibility do you have on your data as it moves through these growth markets, we'll call them for now? Well, you've got two challenges. The first challenge is how do you even make your data accessible to those markets to begin with? That's right. So, for example, if you're in, uh, if you're in the manufacturing space, if you're building devices, right, and um, you want them built, you know, uh, cost effectively, you're, you're probably going to have some percentage of your supply chain in China, Right. And the problem with China is the great firewall of China. Basically, if you don't have a US based, I'm sorry, if you don't have a China based cloud service, it's probably going to get blocked, right? So if you're a G Suite customer, mm, not going to be able to share it to China. If you're a North East 65 customer that has a non China tenant or a US tenant base, not going to be able to share it to China, right? Um, almost uh, every Dropbox, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a website that shows you everything that's blocked in China. There's like a real-time check. Um, so the first issue we have is how are you going to even share your data to begin with, right? Um, then the second issue is how do you keep an eye on what you share, right? So they sort of go hand in hand uh, in terms of what's there. And this is like a serious issue, right? So, um, you know, one of the big four consulting companies uh, chose to go with G Suite, right? So they have 300,000 users in G Suite. They happen to have 35,000 users. Uh, they have a China practice as well, which is at 35,000 users. How do those 300,000 of 335,000 users share information? Now from China, they can share out no problem, right? But from the rest of the world sharing into China, it's a problem. So, so, so what do you do in terms of what's there? Um, so that's where eShare provides a solution, right? In that particular area where you can essentially share under your company's brand, right? Uh, so when so it's your certificate, your URL, your whatever, so that it always basically tunnels through and, and, and it works fine, right, in terms of what's there. And then all the other benefits of the cloud now also work to your advantage once you can enable sharing it to China. Because, again, you're not sharing the data. The, the servers are sitting in the U.S. The servers are sitting not in China. You're sending links essentially into, um, uh, into your collaborators inside of China. You're viewing the data right in the browser. They're not necessarily downloading the information to the endpoint. So you're sort of minimizing your risk by minimizing your presence of the data sitting uh, in China itself in terms of what's there. So, and because everything is link-based, you have visibility of everything, you know, viewing, accessing, downloading, and whatever they do, you've got that full sort of visibility and auditing in, in terms of what's occurring. So this is a case that, you know, once you can figure out how to enable the sharing to occur in China, um, if you're doing it through modern collaboration techniques, meaning links and, and that type of thing, you now have the advantage uh, of, of uh, not giving away the data, but sharing the information. So not giving it up, but sharing it at the same time. How do you keep your eye on it? You know, how do you keep your eye on the, the visibility when you're sharing that information? 
that's the beauty of of, uh, of, of very detailed auditing and, and sort of some to some degree the API economy, right? So the, the new way of everything occurring today is that every single API event generates an audit trail. Um, so uh, accessing essentially uh, a link, you know, has a very specific audit trail that it generates. And then the link access, you know, making that call has an audit trail that it generates and so on and so forth. Um, so you have multiple audit trails and multiple different systems that can cross correlate to make sure that you're, you're ensuring the integrity of the information that you're sharing. And then, right, then you need to ingest all that information, look at the analytics and make sure that the analytics actually make sense in terms of are people accessing that should be accessing it? Is it accessing it at the right time frame? Uh, and, you know, in the, in the right environment to the expected sort of uh, behavioral that you see. That's one of the shortcomings I see uh, to date is that although there's a lot of information available, um, I was, I've been very surprised how poor the analytics are that, that, that are out there today, especially the built-in analytics from, from Microsoft. They don't seem to quite um, provide you that high-level visibility to very quickly be able to sort of note things that, that's occurring. And they're very much... A lot of the analytics to date are so they're very cyber oriented, right? So look at look at the attack, look at the this, look at the that. Um, they're not really looking at the data exfiltration component that's happening to legal mechanisms, meaning that you know it sh gets shared with the wrong person. Somebody added somebody inadvertently, uh, or somebody added somebody um, serendipitously, right, to a particular share, and now data is flowing where it shouldn't be flowing uh, to a particular third party in, in, in terms of what's there, or you know the insider threat. I mean that's always you know, your, your biggest threat in general is always your own mm. internal employees. I mean, we know that given your background too, right? The best way to compromise an organization is find somebody inside the organization to do it because uh, the shell is always soft. And, and that's one thing that the cloud doesn't fix, right? The, the, the insider that's privileged still has that, still has, you know, that access. But the, the big difference is that there is no unaudited access. So even if you're a fully privileged insider, even if you're a global admin, Right, when you, where you can do a lot of damage, right? But no matter what you're doing, it is fully traced and fully audited. Um, in the past, you could do a lot of stuff and clean up your audit trails, and and that's uh, that's not not possible to do, to do today with the cloud. So that's the good news: is that you got to keep an eye on what's happening. You got to you know keep an eye on the insider threat. Um, but there's no way they're going to do something that isn't going to leave behind an audit trail. To, to your point, Nick, about the audit trail in the cloud. I mean, even if I check out a read-only role. In Office 365, it's full audited, and I have to MFA. So I mean, just to do a read-only uh, to look at to look at an audit log itself, uh, right. I, I'm going to go generate even more audit logs. Right, but th that's where I think the risk though shifts to yeah. the insider, right? Um, and so that that that's where I think you got to be careful to not have a false sense of security. You're right; it becomes harder and harder for the external people to penetrate you. But you know. And I don't know, maybe George, you'd be actually a better expert at this, uh, given your background. Do you think it's actually easier to compromise insiders uh, when everybody's working from home, right? Are they more susceptible uh, to being sort of exploited? Are they more susceptible, you know, uh, work from home in terms of since they're isolated to being socially engineered? Uh, I mean, that's my sort of bigger concern and bigger question is, you know, who's paying attention to the insider threat since we're so to some, I think, obsessed about the outside sort of threat. Or as, uh, like I said, if I wanted to, you know, uh, be a bad guy, you know, I'd be dialing lonely people at home to kind of nobody to talk to and that are isolated and, you know, potentially depressed and whatever and taking advantage of them um, through social engineering mechanisms. 
Yeah, I think there's a whole, whole plethora of problems that you have with the insider threat because of the, you know, the acceleration of the remote workforce. I think the insider threat is always going to be one of your top three material risks. You know, you have the insider threat and third party uh, risk, and then you also have, you know, destructive malware, which has just uh, really become a really big problem. Um, so, but the, the remote workforce situation, I think, has pushed the insider threat, you know, up to the top. And I think it's, you know, number one right now for a variety of different reasons. Um, the remote workforce and the work from home situation hasn't helped uh, mitigate that risk. It's created a whole bunch of other risk and it's actually facilitated uh, some of the things that you're talking about in compromising insiders, compromising employees that already have access, privilege access in a lot of uh, instances to uh, the stuff that they're, you know, the bad guys are trying to get access to. So having said all this, you know, Mitch, what do you think? How do we educate our workforce about security and data security when we're navigating through these growth markets? Uh, how, do we, how do we teach our people that, uh, th- to be more diligent? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we've always focused on is how to protect yourself at home. Uh, and if, if you put it in the context of protecting your own identities, your own accounts, your own bank information, your own private information, then it translates to work. Um, so, you know, that's been a big focus of ours for, for training and awareness is, you know, oh, this is how you do it securely at home. And, and that kind of resonates. And then this is how you kind of achieve the same thing here. So, for example, I, I talk a lot about uh, two-factor authentication. At almost every chance I get, I recommend people set up YubiKey mm-hmm. um, and, and just, you know, share how easy they are and how much the protection they, they can add. And, oh, and by the way, we actually support those too. If you want to use one at work, great. You know, here's the portal to go select one and, and, and have it shipped out to you and, and you can adopt it also. Uh, so I, I think the same thing kind of happens here. Um, and uh, I think a lot of it is um, not even pitching the security side of it, but pitching the usability side of it. So like, like Nick talked about, um, uh, I, 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 internally, we've been adopting Office 365, you know, even without some of the external sharing uh, that Nick talks about enabled. Uh, and, and every chance I get, I share links, not documents. Uh, now there's two reasons. One is that they get to evolve um, so I can share an almost done product uh, and know that I, I, I met the deadline because uh, I set the email out with the link um, but I probably have a few more hours to really work on it in the background because no one looks at emails when you send them, right? We all know this, um, but you get that timestamp in the inbox uh, and that's what they're looking for. Uh, and then the other value is uh, that, that I always preach about these capabilities are uh, the real-time collaboration. Uh, you know, now it's not one person typing, like it's not the old school, let's join a meeting and I'm going to share my screen and everyone's going to watch me type and I'm going to make 30 typos and, and, you know, we're, we're, not at, we're all going to fight over is this the right word or is that the right word? Now everyone's got the document open and everyone can share and everyone can edit and, and uh, that wasn't quite right. I'm going to backspace out what Nick just wrote and type in my own word there. It just, it, it accelerates how much quicker business occurs. So that's always been my focus is just focused on the productivity. And oh, by the way, the security is even better. Uh, and, and, you know, don't sell the security, sell the productivity unless you know that person really wants to hear the security story. And there are those people, um, but, but for probably 95, 98% of the organization, they want to hear the productivity story, not the security story. Right, right. Nick, you know, he mentioned, Mitch mentioned uh, you know, the links. You know, how, what do we do about link blocking and, and data duplication and, and how do we resolve those problems? Uh, That's the beauty of links, is they don't duplicate the data right, in terms of right. what's there. 
Um, and, uh, and I think that the real opportunity beyond sort of what Mitch talked about with the links from an InfoSec point of view, uh, and the other part that Mitch said, which is the APIs, when you combine sort of those two things into one, what does it mean? Well, you're paying Microsoft a lot of money. You essentially have unlimited file storage, essentially, right? You couldn't possibly fill all of the, all, you know, between OneDrive and SharePoint teams, you essentially have unlimited storage. And so if you're starting with that premise, why would they, and, and, and assuming that you're going to protect the fortress, right? You're going to implement all the tools and all the configurations to make sure that your data in OneDrive and SharePoint and Teams is as secure as possibly can be. You're, you know, you're classifying, you're doing all good stuff, right? Why wouldn't you want a vendor to come in and provide any additional storage that doesn't bind to that existing storage that's there, right? Why would you want another repository to worry about? another repository to worry about classification, another repository to worry about leakage, another repository to worry about data duplication, another repository, right? There's no reason for it. There's no technical reason for it. There's no, you know, uh, and from a cost point of view, you know, part of why, for example, our, one of our selling points is that we're 75% cheaper than Box, right? Why are we 70% cheaper than Box? We don't have any storage requirements, right? And so you go into old school collaboration, and this is what people had done for years, is they went to 0365, they were using Box for external sharing previously, because that's sort of a standard that they picked, right? And now what are you doing? Well, you're telling your users to copy their data from OneDrive or Teams to SharePoint when they want to share externally to Box, because you're supposed to use Box to share externally. Then you share externally from, from Box to the outside world. Then, then you kind of manually sync the data from Box back into OneDrive, it's insane from a user experience point of view, right? Uh, but you've got duplication of data and now you've got risk. Now you have, you know, you've got to worry about your data in OneDrive and, and, and all three, six, five, and you got to worry your data about in box and classifying your data and blah, blah, blah type of thing, right? So it's twice the cost, why, right? Why would you want to replicate the cost? Why would you want to replicate that infrastructure? So I think the next wave of things and to avoid this, uh, not just from a cost point of view, but again, from a, from a, from a concentration of, of, of data centralization and avoiding leakage right into other points, um, I think that's sort of the next thing to do is vendors should all be consolidating into putting data into one repository. You know, if you're gonna like secure mail solutions from Mimecast or Proofpoint or whatever, every proxy-based solution, again, even Microsoft's own secure mail solution, it duplicates the data, right? Out of OneDrive, out of SharePoint, out of Teams, into some other repository or into the mail system itself. Um, I think we all have to learn the lesson that one, you should never replicate the data, right? Um, and two, um, you know, everything should be done by links from one centralized repository. Make your bet, whatever that bet is, bet Google, bet Microsoft, bet whatever you wanna bet, but then expect all of your vendors, your supporting vendors to consolidate the data store into one place so that you can now, you know, set up your perimeter and all of your protections from these, you know, handful of repositories. Guys, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. I think we, you know, we could probably talk about this for hours, right? We should probably do a few <laughs> shows on this, all right? Absolutely. But uh, maybe next time we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll suck Andy into this too, and, and, get, and get him on. All right. But uh, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. 
All right, folks, it's time to go. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 